Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We welcome back to the show from Daily Faceoff, Frank Saravalli for the Horses and Horse Racing Alberta. Find event schedules at thehorses.com. We'll see you at the races. Frank, how you doing? I'm pretty good, Bob. How are you? Good. So a number of years ago, uh, this writer was, you'll, you'll know who the writer is. He was based, uh, he was he was the guy that covered the New York Islanders beat at the time. And uh, now I believe he's doing the Rangers uh, with the athletic. Uh, but uh, he said to me, Bob, you got you to gotta meet Frank from Philly because he's going to be the rising star. And I was thinking, is that kind of like Benny Blanco from the Bronx, you know, which was a character in one of those Al Pacino movies back in the day. Uh, so so now you're like, uh, I'm, I'm, I got the latest, uh, Sean May from the Oilers gave me a, a copy of the uh, most powerful, influential people in the sporting world. And you are listed, or in hockey, you're in the top five amongst the media guys. So uh, it's, uh, it's been a rapid ascension to the top, Frank. It's uh, it's been a fun ride. I'll say that, and yeah. I've had people like you in my corner the whole way. Yeah, well, let's uh, we'll try to keep it that way, uh, both ways. Uh, nice of you to join us out here in Edmonton. I tried just for the record when I was driving. I tried to watch your guys' uh, uh, podcast, but it kept on. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it was because I was driving. I, I wanted it might to. Might be you. It might be me. I, I, you've been talking. You know, my daughter will tell you I am like the the worst. Uh, person when it comes to technology that you'll after. So you were talking a bit about the Edmonton Oilers today, so let's cut to the chase. Uh, what were you and Mike McKenna sort of discussing about the Oilers on the p- potential trade front? Well, so today uh, we've had a deadline countdown series going on dailyfaceoff.com, one trade deadline focus story every day. Today with 38 days to go, we've had a mix of individual players that we've looked at that have been uh, on the trade targets list, and we've also done teams. And so today is the Oilers and their deadline playbook. And it comes at a really interesting time because the Oilers brass themselves are actually in Vegas right now meeting as part of their pro scouting meetings. Right. And I'd assume on the other end of this that they'll come out of it with some direction and, and marching orders in how they want to tackle the deadline for March 3rd. And so I think what's interesting is I believe if you were to really press Ken Holland and his staff right now today and say, what's your, what are you, what's your target? What's your number one priority? You'd get a whole bunch of different answers from around the room. And I think that's healthy. Um, but I also think, you know, at some point you've got to chart a course and set a path. And so I think it's been all over the place the last few weeks. And I think now as you're starting to see this team take off, maybe you begin to get some more answers and some clarity on some other things that you probably weren't sure about. Well, when Evander Kane initially went out of the lineup, my concern was that the team needed to get somebody that could maybe take care of uh, some of the more physical aspect of the game because they, they, they didn't have a super tough team. Uh, as it turned out, Ken Holland made a trade, and it was subtle at the time, but Clem Costin has been mm-hmm. a fairly significant impact. Now the Oilers have also recalled Vincent Dehernay, and they've re- you know, Evander Kane, and there's a chance uh, Jay Woodcroft just, uh, there's been a personal issue that Evander has to deal with. Uh, he may not be available tomorrow night. I do expect him to play Saturday, by the way. Uh, but he may not be available tomorrow against Columbus. 
so, you know, they, they basically have Kane, DeHarnay, and Costin, so maybe the physical side of the game is looked after. Right. And, and I think there's also... It probably a, raises a question at some point, too, that Costin needs a contract, right? He, but he's restricted. Do you jump right away when a guy's on a... I, I know when he scored his ninth goal of the year, he was at shooting at 24%. Like, I like cost as much as the next guy, but, I, you know, he is on a heater offensively. Um, so at one time we thought maybe it was toughness, and at another time we thought defense. Do you think there's second-guessing that some people might think, the hey, we wanted to see all along what Broberg could do. Oh, by the way, we've recalled DeHarnay, and they haven't lost since DeHarnay has been in the lineup. Right. Has that is, is that part of the reason why it's a moving target for Edmonton? Yeah, I think it's given everyone a bit of pause, and it's it's not the DRNA part, although that's been a nice side benefit. It's really been, and we touched on this a little bit when we spoke last week, it's what is the trickle-down effect? What's the ripple effect if you end up trading for someone that essentially would box out Broberg? And it's not just for this playoff run, but especially if you were to trade for someone with term, someone like, just pick a name out of a hat, Joel Edmondson, you're you're putting your team in a spot where you, you might as well trade Broberg then because there's not really a huge place for him to step into after this. Not to mention what you know what kind of impact does a trade have on his sort of development and process and and mental you know mind frame through which he views the Oilers and his his opportunity. So I think that's really what they're weighing is we have a player we really like. We can see him take steps and grow. It probably hasn't been as fast as we'd want it to. But what what's the cost of that, first off? Meaning, what's the acquisition cost of getting that player? And then second, what's the residual effect? Right. Like, we have people texting us right now on the Ashley. I don't want, on the Ashley Fine Floors text line, I don't want to hear it. Damn it, they need to trade for Jacob Chikrin right now. He steps in and plays right now. They can play him, you know, second-pairing minutes, almost as many minutes as is, and that pushes Kulak down to the third pair. And I'm, I'm trying to do the math. How do you make that work, first of all? Uh, and how many assets? Well, you've got to move Pulley Yarvey. Plus, plus, plus to make it happen. So 4.6 cap hit. The one thing I think has never really wavered for me is they have to improve on a spot in their bottom six. And it was evident, Frank, in the game against Vancouver, and we will talk about Vancouver momentarily, they need a guy that can win a faceoff, preferably a right shot, and a guy that takes ownership in a PK, which is why I keep circling back to to Sam Lafferty. Uh, some might say Nolachari might be the right guy. He's a fifty, and he's more of a center than Lafferty. Lafferty's a right wing slash center. I've never wavered on that. I think they need to add that, and I would add. I would have no hesitation. The D, Frank, for me, are we looking at an audition period here for Broberg? Maybe you got another six weeks to evaluate, but I would not. Well, you have at least another three with now this. This injury to Yamamoto, yes. I think, has really given them a nice balance and cushion yeah. here to then evaluate. So what do you think they need? I mean, you got your pulse around the league. You talk to different managers around the league. What do you think Hamilton needs here? So I think they need a defender. Um, and when I say defender, I don't mean defensemen. Um, I mean, I've talked about Jacob Chickren and his fit and... Other people seem to disagree with me, particularly on the text line, and that's fine. Um, 
I think they need someone that can really take the heat off of Darnell Nurse and not just in a, um, you know, a less minutes type of way. I just think more from a mental aspect of you need to give him a running mate in the way that he feels really comfortable and doesn't feel like he needs to do more than necessary in order to make this team successful. Because I think he feels a lot of pressure um, just watching his game. I think you can tell that at times, you know, he it's not a fault of effort. He actually wants to do more sometimes than he's capable of. And you bite off more than you can chew, and I, it doesn't help anyone. And so I think in a perfect world, you have someone that sort of just calms him down and says, hey, I, I, you know, I don't need to do that much because sometimes less is more. And you put this team in a spot where maybe they also, that person also has a bit of an edge to their game as well. Not like Duncan Keith in the sense of, you know, any sort of physical or anything like that. It's more edge in terms of competitive measure and compete that I think, you know, you, you talk about work rate and things like that. Someone that's going to kill plays, um, that, that's what I think is really important. Is that team here tomorrow night with the player, with Gavrikov? See, you can read my story. I went back yesterday and I picked through Gavrikov's game, and I don't know that he is. I understand why you – he's closer, I think, in that vein than Chikrin. But I still don't think he's necessarily a perfect stylistic fit. Um, mostly because people call him a physical defenseman, and he's not, he's really not. He just isn't. Like I, I don't care. You can talk about the NHL's hits tracking system and how they put put in stats, building to building. He's ninth on the team in hits. He's two hundred and seventy fourth in the league, and that ties him with Sidney Crosby. Like I, I'm sorry. Vladislav Gavrikov is not a physical player, and I don't know why people talk about him that way. I think part of the reason is is because with his style of game, which is very simple, they don't know what else to say about him, whether it's broadcasters or whether it's uh, you know talent evaluators and managers. They don't know what to label him as. And I think he's just a guy that also, instead of killing plays, spends a lot of time trying to press and, and move – the play toward the wall and the perimeter, which I think is valuable, but isn't necessarily exactly it. So people are going to be upset when I say this based on what happened last week. And it has nothing to do with that. I think the actual perfect stylistic fit for the Edmonton Oilers is Ivan Provorov. Frank, Ivan Provorov makes $6.75 million. How you does seem it, offended by that. About the money? I'm just trying to figure out, like, I mean, I, I, I actually... You do whatever it takes. Like, I, I, this, is, like, I, this is one of the things that drives me crazy, and it's not. this isn't directed at you. We hear all the time, like, how are you going to make that work? Well, like, well, how does well, Tampa Bay make it work? Okay, just, just hold on a second here. Okay. I, as for Provorov, he's entitled to, 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 you know, I still believe in critical thought, Frank. So here's the deal. It's important that organizations support various things, like a Pride Night or like an Indigenous Night. Indigenous night. I think that's awesome that the Oilers do that. And uh, that said, Ivan Provorov has the right to make his own personal choice. He did. 
sometimes you have to live with the consequences of making the choices you do. Fully agree. Okay, there we go. So we can let's get that right. My mine was more about like when I'm looking at Gavrikov, I'm going all right. They can eat half on an expiring deal at 2.8. That knocks it down to 1.4, and then he's not blocking Broberg this summer. Okay, he's not blocking. That part makes sense. I get that. Right, that's why Gavrik. I'm looking at Provorov going. How do you? I mean, you'd have to move three or four pieces in that deal. It's a far more complicated. I I didn't mind. I didn't. What? What happened to like? What happened to Provorov in Philly? Because two or three years ago, he was tracking like a number two defenseman all day. Yeah, he was on par with Zach Wierenski in terms of where he was heading. And I think that's really what's so exciting about the idea of Provorov is trying to get that out of him again. And he not only has a physical edge, but also I love his ability to kill plays. And he was always involved at the other end of the ice, too. He was sort of a consummate, well-rounded defenseman who is good in his own end, good in front of the net, and also could put up 40-plus points on the back end and play 23 minutes a night. Um, I think and, – and here's the crazy part about the cost process when it comes to the deadline, and I mentioned this in my piece yesterday when sizing up Gavrikov and recent trades. So we know that the ask from Columbus is – basically in line with the David Savard deal from a couple years back. That's the ask. It doesn't necessarily mean there are some organizations, Frank, are they not, that are looking at the history of the trade deadline and the acquisitions costs. Do we need to have a reset on that? Have they been too so much? That's, this is what I wrote about. So you're stealing my thunder. Oh, okay. Sorry. So I said, then the other ask, if not that, will be along the lines of Ben Sherratt. Right. And if, if managers are able to hold the line and maintain their sanity here. If you look at the impact that both Savard and Sherratt had on their teams after the trade deadline, Savard only played 14 minutes a night in Tampa's cup run. And Sherratt played 17-17 in Florida, and they got him, and they were actually thinking, like, this guy is not what we needed. That was after they made the trade. Kind of a hard deal to to swallow that on when you trade your first round pick in 2023 and it's not lottery protected. So both those teams let both those players walk. And I went through the exercise yesterday saying to myself, A, Ken Holland ended up looking really smart last year for Brett Kulak and the price paid relative to the impact that he had on his team. And B, why is Vladislav Gavrikov on a cost basis any different this time around than Brett Kulak was last year? I agree. <laughs> I'm thinking the same thing. All right, uh, Vancouver. Give me your thoughts on what happened there with Bruce Boudreau. I thought it was unnecessary. Right. I, I thought the whole thing of it, like, you know, we can come up with whatever word you want. My issue is you can, you know, Jim Rutherford has been around a long time. He's dealt with a lot of people and has earned a reputation as being uh, a class guy to deal with. And no one comes out of this looking good. The organization has a black eye. Uh, Rutherford's reputation has taken a hit, if not his legacy. Patrick Alvine, people are curious about. And I personally believe 
based on the reporting that I've done, that I, I think the, the thing that got in the way here was they wanted to do this a long time ago, management, it's really since October. And I have it on really good authority that they didn't get the green light until sometime in January. And when that happens, when you want to make a change and you talk to a bunch of different people and you know you don't have that green light and you go out and you try and do the shopping beforehand, you know, information in the National Hockey League is like air. Good luck trying to put a lid on it because it escapes. And people find out things for better or for worse. That's part of the deal. There's too many people involved. And a lot of people, it's sensitive. It, a lot of people, it can, it can end up looking bad and having blowback on a whole group. And so now this is something that the Canucks organization as a whole, I think, is going to have to wear for a little while. And Probably aside from Bruce Boudreau, who it's most unfair to is the guy that's now stepping into place in Rick Tockett. All right. Uh, you know, the Calgary Flames drafted Adam Fox, a future Norris Trophy winner, refused to play there. They had to trade his rights. They uh, drafted and developed Goodrow. He had an unbelievable year last year. Did not sign in Calgary. Resigned in Calgary. Matthew Kachuk, they drafted. Uh, you know, forced to trade out of Calgary. Wouldn't sign a long-term deal. That's the Flames. I'm looking at the Canucks. They also got a lot of American players, including one that is pretty demonstrative that, frankly, got a deal that I think surprised a lot of people when maybe somebody else should have been signed first. What's your, where's your headspace at with J.T. Miller, Demko, uh, Besser, Hughes, Garland? Bit of a trend there, right? And mm-hmm. do you think the general manager referred to major surgery to the lineup? Could we be seeing an altered course here with some of those players? Probably, but I'd say it has more to do with their contract status than their nationality or place of birth. Okay. And I would say, first off, I don't have any indication, given their stance, that either Quinn Hughes or... Thatcher Demko are going anywhere. Well, they should be building blocks with Elias Pettersson, would you not think? Well, that's what the plan is, I believe. Okay. And I don't think they could do anything with JT Miller even if they wanted to. I think that contract, aside from the poor timing of it, given what you said about maybe getting Horvat done first, which I think threw off a lot of this season and and how it started, um, you know, not really being a center, probably more of a winger, um, the term, the age, like he, he turns 31 at the end of the first year of the deal. Like it still doesn't kick in until next year. And that's when the no trade clause that he has also kicks in. So I don't think they could move it if they wanted to. Um, when it comes to Brock Besser, like they're certainly going to try. And I think when you look at his deal, to me, he's a classic change of scenery guy that I could see him, um, if he's able to get out of there and maybe there it's a bit of a depressed asset in terms of their return that they're probably looking at either since they're into getting players, uh, a player that is in a similar situation on another team and or a, a second round pick is, is sort of where um, the spot that they're in with Besser. And when it comes to everyone's looking at Horvat right now as, as the guy that, is probably likely first out the door. Yeah, it's interesting with Miller. Is that part of the reason it's a guy like Tockett coming in there? 
to replace. I believe so. I think structure is one and, and also like JT Miller for all of his warts, um, meaning I think uh, he rubs people the wrong way. He can be sarcastic. He can be dismissive uh, just from talking to people in that room. He also competes and he's got an edge to him that I think has personally off the ice probably hurt him and on the ice probably helped his career um, with that compete level. And Tockett has had some experience dealing with other players that are sometimes difficult to deal with, like a Phil Kessel, and was able to get the most out of it. And the reason for that is Rick Tockett's a straight shooter. He has no BS. He's not afraid to tell anyone anything. And his genuine way that he goes about it is appreciated by everyone because you never have any question with him as to where you stand. All right, Frank, great stuff. Uh, love having you on the show. The perspe- We only talked about two teams, Everton Vancouver. So just to circle back, your suggestion is Ivan Provorov. No, I'm not suggesting that at all. I said my personal opinion is if you're looking for a stylistic fit, I believe he's the best stylistic fit. Okay, okay. good stuff. Uh, how to uh, daily face off? You got and what do you guys? Monday, Wednesday, Friday? You do a do you do a podcast every day of the week? Monday yeah. to Friday, daily face off live at 12 noon Eastern, 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And guess what, Bob? I am looking forward to being in the YEG this week and hanging out with you. Yes, I hear you're coming into town, so we look forward to seeing you on Thursday. Thanks a lot, Frank. See you, Bob. Yeah, from uh, Daily Faceoff, that is Frank Saravalli for the horses and horse racing. Alberta find event schedules at thehorses.com. We'll see you at the races. I've got guys texting me personally after Saravalli uh, was on about Ivan. Well, here's how it can work, Bob. I, uh, oh, it's awesome. I love the passion. That was Frank Saravalli joining us for the horses and horse racing Alberta. Again, you can find event schedules at thehorses.com. We'll see you at the races. We are heading back to sunny California this April with New West Travel. You fly to LA and Anaheim to watch the Oilers play the Kings and the Ducks. This New West Travel package includes airfare, four nights at the Marriott LA, lower bowl game tickets for both games. We're going to do a welcome reception or two with yours truly and special guests. For the California Hockey Tour, reach out to newwesttravel.com. It's going to be a kicker. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Randy Kelburn. Alan May, longtime Washington Capitals broadcaster, friend of the show, when we return on Oilers Now.